You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Gals, today I have Pastor Gabe Carter joining us. Gabe's been on the podcast before. He's the director of our pastoral team at Athey, and this guy knows the word, and I love when he comes on and will chat with us a little bit, especially when we want to dig into some deeper doctrinal things. I just really love the take from the pastoral team, and specifically Gabe just is great reference for this. So, Gabe, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. And I was realizing that whenever we've done the podcast and you've been on, I don't think I've ever actually let you fully introduce yourself. I think I just kind of keep talking and get ahead of myself. So, Tell us about Amber and tell us about the kids. I want to hear the full deal. So everyone, so they can get to know Gabe just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So my wife's name, Amber, we've been married, man, 17 years. We grew up next door to each other. So we've been, she's the girl next door. Junior high is when I moved in seventh grade. It's weird. My wife and I were just talking about our oldest daughter, Jada, just is going to be turning 13 here in December. And that was the age Amber and I met. And I was like, oh, that's weird. What? That's weird to, th- <laughs> weird to think. Yeah, no, I have five kids, Jada, Micah, Crosby, Caleb, and Selah. So basically every two years from 12 on down. And, so uh, they're bored at they their are, house. They're, they're absolutely bored. And Amber's amazing. She in is. every possible amazing. way. Amazing, yeah. Maybe we'll have Amber come on the you podcast should. sometime. She is, she is definitely She'd more be, of the brains than, than I am. Oh so. man, she's so great. Well, today, gals, we're going to dig into a little bit of a deeper doctrine, but a really important one. And don't turn me off just yet, but we want to talk about sin. We want to talk about the depravity of man, if we can use a really big word. And Gabe's going to fix up some of these terms and kind of take us there. But I've been wanting to do a full episode on this because we talk a lot about how we need to understand the essentials and the basic foundational doctrines of the faith. And this is one that if you have this one off, a likely a lot of other things are going to be off, culturally speaking, even spiritually, in how you reflect on your own salvation It's a big one to have wrong. So why don't you kick us off with just defining what our terms are and what we're looking at here? Yeah, so defining the terms, the term, the phrase, or the two words, total depravity is something that's brought up. I tend to not necessarily use that only because it brings a little bit of, uh, I guess, baggage along Mm -hmm, with it, mm -hmm. depending on which camp you are in. You know, the Calvinists or, you know, more reformed look at total depravity in one lens in fact, it's, it's sort of an interpretation. How do we understand depravity or, or sin in man? And really, you know, where we stand, I'd say as a church at Athey Creek, is that, you know, we are sinners by nature. You know, it says this all throughout scripture that we are sinners by nature. Even I think it's Psalm 51 where David says there that in sin he was conceived, conceived. Like, so even there in his mother's womb, he, he's a sinner. Some people try to argue that that's actually speaking of David's mother having an affair and him being born. And that it's, I, I disagree with that. That doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. fit. But him being born in sin, that he, he's got a sin nature to him. Romans even talks about how, uh, I think it's in Romans 5, where through one man sin entered the world, sin and death, that is through Adam. And so we have this this sin nature passed on down, so to speak, through Adam. From the garden there in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and brought about sin into the world, from that point on, all of creation has been bent 
if you will, or broken in a way that, that we are sinners. So we must understand that by nature, we are sinners. You know, it's been said that we sin because we're sinners and not the other way around. We don't become sinners because we sin. We, we already are sinners out of our heart, you know, the overflow of the heart come these things. And why is this so important as a doctrine to understand? Yeah, it is important. And mainly, if we miss this, you know, foundationally, we don't know why Jesus really came. Mm -hmm. If Jesus came only to reform us, to make us better, and he was just a social activist, that's not the gospel. That's not what we see in scripture. It's more than that. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespass and sin. We are dead. And this is why... You know, in John 3, where Jesus is having the discussion with Nicodemus, that there he says, you must be born again. Mm -hmm. We must be born again, not just given, you know, reform. And here's a new way of life. The new way of life comes out of the new nature. And so we need to be born again. We need a new nature because our old nature is dead. Right. But interestingly, we have a culture that the scripture is very clear that you must be born again. Mm-hmm. It says the wages of sin is death. I mean, it's 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 not mincing words. Scripture is very clear about sin. And yet we find ourselves just within our own human nature, but just even surrounded in a culture that continues to either water down sin, just make light of it, that it's just not that big of a deal. And so it makes it so there is more so a doctrine, culturally speaking, of everybody's basically good. I asked Chris one time, he does a a lot of interviews and he was saying how one of the questions he likes to ask is to ask someone, what is something that you believe to be true that nobody else believes you? Hmm. And it was a good question. I thought about it and I asked him for what his answer was. And his answer is that people are not basically good. Now, he does not work in a Christian company of any kind, but that is something that he believes to his core because it is a doctrine. We are not basically good, and yet nobody else believes that. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say nobody else, but typically that is not the prevailing wisdom of the day. Where's the disconnect between culture and what our own flesh nature just fighting against that going so against what God's word says on this? (laughs) Well, none of us want to admit that we are broken, or at least that we've erred in regards to sin. We might say, yeah, we made mistakes. We find this even in in our Christian subculture, so to speak, where Mm -hmm. scripture does say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you know, as Romans says. So we quote that to justify our action at times. We need to be cautious of that, thinking, hey, we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. No one's righteous, not even one. And we kind of throw up our hands. The point of that is that you are unable. Like, it's not so much like everyone's, it's you are unable. You have an inability to make yourself righteous. You cannot make yourself righteous. When we sin, it's only evidenced of our nature apart from Christ. And so when we see this cultural disconnect, no one really wants to admit that they're bad. Partly, so when I say total depravity, when I brought that up earlier, we can incorrectly view that as utterly depraved, like there's no ability to do anything that's Mm -hmm. good on the horizontal level, that is with man. That's not the case. You know, Romans 1 and 2 talk about how no one's without excuse. One, because of what theologians like to call general revelation, that is revealing of who God is generally in creation. We can see there's a sun, a moon, a stars. We can see there's a creative order of Mm -hmm. things in Romans 1. And then in Romans 2, we internally have a conscience, a knower that knows to do right and wrong, which is evidence of God. And so we have the ability to do good. You know, I was, uh, before I, I came on staff as a pastor, I worked in downtown Portland for years. And I remember driving down there and there were billboards 
up one day and uh, along the way you'd see these billboards with families and people, you know, men and women, smiling faces, they look all happy. And underneath at the bottom, it said, the face of an atheist, you know, from mm. the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And here they are, they're showing these, these people, look, they're good. They, they can right. smile and they can, they can have good lives. And, and it's true to one extent. There's a truth to that. While we're recording here, it's coming up in a couple weeks to Thanksgiving. And much of America is going to gather around the table and they're generally going to be thankful. We're going to have a thankful attitude. You might even go around the table if you're not a Christian and talk about the things that you're thankful for. The difference is, as a Christian, we have a directed. Thanks is always directed towards somebody. When you give thanks, you are giving thanks to somebody, not just generally out into the air. You don't just throw mm. Thanksgiving up. And so while there is a sense of good, there's a sense of thankfulness, there's a truth to that, it's not complete. So, you know, you can have a neighbor who's not a believer who might be a benevolent, really kind, good giver, but doesn't believe in Jesus. There's mm -hmm. truth to that. They can do that. But the goodness spoken of in scripture, there is one aspect of just doing good, but the goodness spoken of like in Genesis chapter two, when God created all things and he said, it's good, it's perfect. It's complete. It's lacking mm -hmm. in nothing. We are not like that. Right. Once, you know, we come out with errors <laughs> and we continue to error. And the only way to be put right is to trust in Jesus, to be born again, to be made new, that we can now live in that newness of life. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just a reformation and we're trying to reform something that's dead mm -hmm. and we can't do that. I love actually that terminology that you're using that we were not, that Jesus did not come to reform us because while it seems, and I know it can sound bleak and you know maybe depressing to say, oh, we're just all sinners and there's nothing good we've done and all that. Like you said, I'd caution people from going down that trail. That's not what we're saying. But at the same time, I do feel like having that right understanding of our sin nature, it makes the goodness of Jesus right. redeeming us that much more amazing. And I do feel like sometimes that's what people miss mm -hmm. when you're so focused on that either harping on the side of, hey, I'm not that bad or doing the converse of saying I'm terrible. You're, either way, you're taking away from what Jesus has done. Right. And the brightness right. that that is to that darkness, that's, the contrast. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it's that the analogy of the diamond ring put on the black backdrop. If you lighten up that backdrop just a little bit, the diamond doesn't look like it sparkles as, as much. So yeah, it does rob the Lord of his glory. And, you know, he is glorious. He is the one that is perfect and altogether right and true. And when we justify ourselves and make ourselves in our own minds appear more righteous, it does rob God of his glory. It's a bigger offense than we think it is. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things like that, that we miss, you know, that we're robbing God of in that. And not only in that though, but the gift even that it is to us of the release of burden mm -hmm. that we aren't making ourselves right. There's nothing we can do with that. So take the burden off. I mean, that that is what right. Jesus came to do. Right. So it doesn't serve us well either way. Right. Yeah, I, I want to go back to the just the, because I know I could, I could imagine someone listening to this saying, no, but I can do good things, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't believe, or my friend's great. Everyone is made in God's image. The scriptures is, is clear that every man and woman is made in the image of God, in the image he made them, male and female, there in Genesis 1, God made them in his image. But the problem is, is the image isn't totally erased, it's effaced. It's, there's a remnant left, so there's an ability or capacity to do kind things, but not for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. They're not. Now, it, mm -hmm. God is going to receive glory because he's God by definition, but the motivation behind it is not going to be for God's glory. And so I think 
that point, if we can understand that, that there's still a capacity to do good, because oftentimes when we label something as sin, we can interpret that as they are so far gone right. that they can never do anything good. And I, I don't even like them. That's not the case. They are far gone. If you're sin, you're far gone in mm-hmm. the sense that there's only one way back. And that's Jesus Christ. There's only one one way to be with the Father. There's only one way to become righteous, mm-hmm. and that is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But that does not mean, again, that they're that you're a terrible, quote unquote, terrible person from our standards. Right. You could have a great conversation with people that aren't believers. You could have a good meal with someone that's not a believer. You know, they're gonna treat you kindly. They might do might tip bigger than you at the restaurant. Who <laughs> knows? You know, those those things are there's an ability there. But the reality is, is that by nature, we sin. Mm-hmm. That comes from our nature, which is why we need a new nature. So uh, let me just give you an example. What would you say to someone who they've got a family member that not a believer, they don't feel that need. They're not recognizing their sin nature and they go, you know, I'm basically good. I do good things. I help my neighbor take his trash out. And I, you know, how does that family member, friend, whoever they're talking to, How do they unpack that for them? Yeah. Well, again, if we go back to that kind of, you know, Jesus didn't come to reform us, but to give us new life. If we've erred in one part of the law, if we've Mm -hmm. sinned, I mean, even if you can't convince them that they're sinners by nature, if you sin one time, you've erred in all parts of the law. And therefore you are then guilty of of the law. You know, the wages of sin is death. That is the, the recourse, the payment, the penalty of our sin is death. And there's only one way out of that. Even if someone doesn't feel it, it's still true. Mm -hmm. Even if someone doesn't recognize it, it's still true. Truth is truth. No matter which way you feel about it, it's still true. You know, sin comes from within. Like it's, it's a part of who we are. You know, I've heard it, you know, talk about, you know, how sin can be likened to rust a little bit or evil in the sense, you know, you don't have to have Evil exists for good to exist, but good exists on its own, and then evil attaches itself to it. And like rust, you could have a good, quote-unquote, good bolt that's in working order, has no rust on it, but as it gets water and condensation on there, it begins to oxidize and corrode, and there's evil so to speak, on there. And if you think Jesus came to kind of brush that off, the problem is, is it's a cancer that's within us, that's grown mm. from within and has metastasized to all parts of our being. And you can't just excise it. You can't just go in and take out one part. We're stage four. It's mm. It's gone to every part of us. And so we need, we need a new body. We need a completely new being in order to really have a right standing before God. And so to talk about that, you know, with a, with a family member, it would just be, I would honestly just ask him, have you ever sinned? Have you ever, is there any time you've ever made a, quote unquote, made a mistake? Which I think is, we can use that terminology, I think pejoratively, but the reality is, is making mistakes, not to be harsh. We don't just make a mistake, we sin, and we need to view sin for what it is so that we can go mm-hmm. to the altar of grace mm-hmm. and receive grace from Christ. So having that conversation, have you ever erred? Have you ever, have you mm-hmm. ever sinned? Okay, what'd you do about it? Well, I went and I paid my debt. When the reality of the debt is way bigger than just paying the fine for speeding or mm-hmm. whatever the debt might be. Well, and like you said earlier, you know, God gave us with an inner sense of that he is, that Mm -hmm. he exists. And I do think that sometimes those folks that might be the loudest to shout in our face that I'm basically good and that I don't know what you're talking about, me being a sinner, you know, they know on some level. Mm -hmm. And and it could be that those conversations, maybe they don't even feel like they go very smoothly all the time. But 
it's something that already exists in us. We have, what is it Ecclesiastes says that we have eternity? Yeah, 311. Yeah, there's eternity written in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And it's just as true, that is just as true as the scriptures about that the wages of sin is is death. Mm -hmm. All of the things, they're all true. There's no exception for just that individual that thinks they believe this so heartily that we're basically good. So it's there. I I wanted to put out sort of a practical example because I know people know others like that mm-hmm. and be encouraged to gently and continue to have those conversations because you're speaking truth. Mm-hmm. You know, we can come out a little too hard on these sometimes. Mm-hmm. We can come out like Peter and cut off the ear of Malchus, thy priest servant, swinging our swords, kind of just nonchalantly yep. or flailing it about. But, you know, scripture does say, you know, Philippians talks about approving the things that are excellent. You know, Romans 13 in regards to love says love believes all things, you know, it believes the best in, in people. Mm-hmm. Like there's truth to these things. Like we're not, we're not saying again, because you're sinner by nature, that there is nothing good in the sense that, that you can approve. No, you, there's things that you can approve, but I guarantee you that those things that you can approve are because they're from the image of God. Right. And so you can approve it in that light and then point to ultimately Christ. He is the one, like he is perfect, yet he died a sinner's death. He took the, the payment. The propitiation was given to us. He gave us righteousness. I think as quickly as you can turn the conversation to Jesus and show him who he was, how he was sinless, and to point to what he did, I think that's where the conversation should often go. We're going to have a hard time finding perfect examples in any other man. Sure. And also, I think it's just interesting how, boy, when we have these conversations, like you said, sometimes we want to go out a little too bold, mm-hmm. but there is that tendency to just not, mm-hmm. to do nothing but approving the things that are excellent <laughs> and then not keeping in the full sure. truth. You know, as you read scripture and you look in like First John, when he says, if somebody sins, he's a liar. I mean, it, that's not mincing words. It's not being very delicate. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder what these conversations will be like in heaven when we can actually talk to John and, you know, what does this look like? And so striking that balance. And, but like you said, we find that perfect balance in Jesus because you look at the Samaritan mm-hmm. woman, he was nothing but kind and compassionate and loving to her, but he still called her on her that's sin. Right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's uh, he's full of grace and full of truth. And that's that balance is they're not contradictory of each other. We can mm-hmm. we can view these things and put them head to head. It's almost like in today's culture, as long as you come out with, you know, nice speech and you look kind and you're you have an appearance of kindness, even if you're totally off, it's like, well, they were a really nice guy and I'm just gonna trust them. Mm-hmm. Be aware of that. I mean, Paul said he came he didn't come to the church at Corinth with excellency of speech. Like <laughs> he brought some bold words. He brought some pretty strong words to the church at Corinth in both first and second Corinthians. So there's a time and a place to be bold and we should be bold, but also we should have a sense of grace knowing, you know, I often say we need to be as Christians, you know, we're called to season our speech with grace, but we should also listen with mercy. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time. We, we don't give people the benefit of the doubt at times. I think it, sometimes we, we can too quickly throw them into a camp before we actually have the conversation. So while even the stuff we're talking about, you can boil down into small little micro chunks and and then put that in a certain camp and, and label it. Having conversations with family members or friends is important and to kind of get that discourse across of where you come from, this is truth, but I still love you. You can have those conversations. You can you can still have be totally gracious with somebody, but also be extremely firm in your truth. Yeah. I think you even talked about, and I've been talking about James chapter three is a constant theme, I think, of the past 
year and a half, two years when it comes to coronavirus and division and all the stuff going on, wisdom from above, and then, you know, the anti-wisdom or that which is earthly, demonic, and unspiritual. So, yeah, I mean, James is all about, he comes out packing a punch, Mm -hmm. very direct, but he's talking, he's also saying, hey, (laughs) here's how real wisdom is to be applied. Well, and perhaps, you know, we're talking about this if it's a conversation that you're having with someone else, but we need to not forget the one who's having the conversation. That would be me. That would be you. Right. That would be the one that guess who else is born in sin and right. is absolutely in that same place. So it's putting on the the realization of making sure you've got your own foundation set, like you understand for you. Mm-hmm. And it helps that conversation to have more mercy because you know you have been forgiven much as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, the one who's been forgiven much loves much, you know, scripture says. And so we kind of talked about this earlier on. We do like to put sin off at a distance and mm. view others as sinners and not ourselves. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the errors in this is that we don't want to label that as sin or tell them that they're a sinner there or, or whatever, because then it's going to come back on us. Mm. The truth is, it's yeah, it's, it's absolutely mm-hmm. going to come back on you because we're sinners mm-hmm. and we need Jesus, we need a savior. Yeah, I think that's extremely important to know this is back on you as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to take this back so we can look at what a model for this looks like. And we began with talking about why this is an important place to even understand rightly what our own sin nature looks like. Because we do have a vast conversation right now about what our identity is. And I'm maintaining in this podcast that we're talking about knowing our own sin nature Mm -hmm. and knowing that about ourselves is very crucial. Previously, we had been talking about and you were sharing some things in John that kind of point us back to Jesus and how he frames this. Yeah, you know, I, I often pick up patterns in scripture when I just read through things, I see things. Typically, I'm not one to just pull a verse out. Like I, I really am a promoter of exegetical. That is just context. verse by verse going through, getting the context of scripture. And honestly, this came out of that. I did, mm-hmm. was doing just a deep dive, looking at scripture, looking at sentence structure. And believe it or not, it's like the sentence structure that brought this out, which is really weird. My wife, Amber, she's the one that's amazing with sentence structures. She can dissect sentences and do the whole lines and all that stuff. To me, it's like, I don't even, I don't know what she's doing, but love it. I try, I try. I love diagramming sentences. Yeah, diagramming sentences. (laughs) Oh man. As I was going through this, something just stuck out, you know, in John chapter 13, which I think you just recently taught on something we can easily miss because it's so, it's just a short little phrase. Mm -hmm. And so John chapter 13 gives us, it can paint sort of a paradigm of really two different worldviews and how you view view this. And there's major implications in how you live your life on this. And so in John 13, knowing what's going on here, this is where Jesus, you know, washes the disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. But this sits in sort of line with where Jesus is headed. So in John 11, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. In John 12, there he anoints Mary's head with the oil there in Bethany. And then there's a triumphal entry. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to picture this. Jesus, it's almost as if it's like the highest of highs in regards to Jesus' ministry. They're, you know, laying down their palm branches, welcoming him into the to the city there in Jerusalem as the Messiah. They're thinking he's going to be the guy that's going to take over as, you know, to bring back power, if you will, to Israel and, and, and overthrow Rome and just their weird political view on this. When he had a different purpose altogether in that first advent and his first coming, And so in John chapter 13, at the feast of Passover, in verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, 
He loved them to the end. I love this because we, we are given the time marker here is interesting. It's telling us when this happened, when <laughs> Jesus knew. We're given insight of what Jesus is thinking, and we're not always given that. So when you're reading through the Gospels, you're given, you know, like Luke, for instance, you can say, this is what's going on here. Sometimes he'll say he knew what they thought. But here we're given the mind of Jesus. Like we get to understand what is going through his mind before he does something. Mm-hmm. And I think we should take note of that. Like if, if this is what Jesus is thinking before he washes his disciples' feet, don't we think, don't you think it's important to think, maybe we should think like that too. <laughs> so knowing he had loved them, and it says in verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, in verse three, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. There's three things there that Jesus knew prior to taking off the, his teaching garment, if you will, the rabbi's garment and putting on a towel. The three things there, it says, knowing that the father had given all, thing in, all things into his hands. The second is that he had come from God. And the third is that he was going back to God. Then he rose up and he took off his outer garment, which was his symbol of his authority as the teacher over them. And he took on the form of a servant. You know, if that sounds familiar, it's Philippians chapter two. But these three things are important in the way that we live our lives as Christians. So apart from Christ, let's just go through this. Apart from Christ, where did you come from? Mm. Well, scripture says you came from the dirt. You're made from the dirt. Like, where did you come from? Well, okay, I came from my mom and dad. Yeah, okay. Where did you come from? Apart from Christ. And then apart from Christ, what do you have? Well, anything I can hold my hands, you know, maybe your house. Scripture does say, though, that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. So you don't really have the ability to do anything Mm -hmm. that really brings him glory. So if you came from nothing, (laughs) so to speak, you came from dirt, you don't have anything. And then where are you headed apart from Christ? Knowing where he was going. If this is the end of life, like if, if you die, you know, and this is it, it makes sense to me why much of the world we would be grasping at everything that they can get their hands on anything. Mm -hmm. So if this is all you have and you came from nothing and this is all you can keep, and then you're not headed to anything, you maybe you can pass on something to your kids or the generation after that, whatever. You're going to do all that you can to keep everything that you have. And you're going to grasp, you're going to kick, you're going to fight. You're going to work your way up to the top for any, any means necessary. That makes sense. Now let's move this into the context as a Christian. Now it says that, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ came for us. He died for us. He gave us new life. We were born again in him. So where we came from is we have new life in Christ. Yes, we came from dirt, but now we have new life in Christ. This is where I think we can error is that we can apply this sort of logic on everybody. But those that are saved, they are born again, made new. They're from Christ in that sense, a new creature, uh, a new creation in Christ. And then we go, okay, well, then what has he given to us? Well, Romans says, he who did not spare his own son, does he not also give us all things in Christ Jesus? Now, all things doesn't mean a mansion and a Maserati and, or or whatever, you know, whatever earthly thing, all things in regards to Christ. We are sons of the most high, sons and daughters of the most high. We are citizens of heaven. We are now made kings, if you will. We are a royal priesthood of the Lord. So if we recognize we're born again, and then everything's already been given to us. Everything, like everything's already been given to us. And then the third part of that is, is where we're headed, where we're going. 
We know where we're headed. Now, isn't that easy? Isn't that simple just to go, oh man, I could take off this garment and I can serve others. I can lay my life down for others because guess what? No one's taking it from you. No one's going to take that from you. So I think as Christians, we should be the most free knowing that those things are set and like they are set. We're born again. We've been given all things in Christ and we're headed to the Father. From that, now we can serve. Now we can love. Now we can show compassion. That's the difference. Now, someone apart from Christ can love, can serve, can show compassion. And I got to say, as Christians, we should do this to the uttermost. Yeah. This should be a mark of a Christian. This is how Christ lived. And, you know, we look at, you know, division in the church and things going on. It's like, this, this shouldn't be so. When, when Paul wrote his epistle to the church at Philippi, he's gushing over them. He loves the church of the Philippians, but they had probably a, an issue of division because that's the thing he brings up. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus, to esteem others as greater than yourselves, mm-hmm. to take on how Jesus came and took on the form of a servant and was obedient even to death. And then he says, therefore, <laughs> you be obedient. If I could sum up most of the teachings of the New Testament, if I could really like, you know, once you get past the gospels and you get into the didactic or the instruction part of the teachings in scripture, it's here is who God is. Here is who you are. Now act like it. Hmm. Like it's that simple. Yeah. It's just, now just act like it. And so it's important to know where you came from. That is, you came from dirt, <laughs> but you were made new. That part is important because we can unfortunately take this, this newness of life and apply it to every person who's still in darkness. Mm-hmm. And then we're erring. We're just telling them you're great. It's good, but they're in darkness. You need to bring them into the light so that they can live as children of the light. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest error there. And we're causing disservice to people who might think that they're saved yeah. in that regard. Now, there's those that, of you that might struggle with, I feel like the biggest of all sinners in the world. I know I'm a sinner. Well, the good news is, is Christ has saved you. He gave mm-hmm. his life for you. You trust in him, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't feel Christ's atonement and forgiveness on your life, he forgave you. Yeah. You trust in him and say, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. You are saved. You are made new. You're born again, even if the feelings haven't caught up to that yet. And there's an accuser of the brethren who's going to come alongside and constantly try to, to bring you down, to point out your error. And it's true. You just agree with your accuser quickly. I've erred. And go to the cross of Christ again. Lord, forgive me. He forgives you. Mm-hmm. That's how good Jesus is. That's so good. I wanted to as we wrap this up, I wanted to come back to this model that you gave because Jesus always gives us the perfect, perfect model, the perfect prescriptive of how to do this. But just connecting the dots, we came from dirt. This is where we come from. That's why I wanted to spend so much time kind of unpacking. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're a sinner. And those are the things that we came from. Mm-hmm. But then what do we have? And then what are we going to? Mm-hmm. One of the things that completely excites me and nerds me out a little bit is just reading that one little verse. And like Gabe talked about, that there's this pattern there of so much there just in knowing what was in Jesus's mind in that moment that you might miss. And that just to me is just the richness of scripture right there. You're, you can read it a hundred times and you'll come back and you'll see something that can just be so profound. And I think this is one of those because I think mm-hmm. it points back to the fact how important it is to know the yep, you're dirt. But... <laughs> It's okay yeah. because of what he did and for where we're going to. I think that's such a beautiful model and so simplifies it. Yeah, and if I could encourage you all to, when you read your Bibles, you don't need to search for the diamonds. Yeah. Like you don't have to go, it's like you're in a cave and you're just 
chipping away and eventually you're going to strike something. And that's what happened. Like I didn't, I didn't seek out this verse and go, mm-hmm. okay, how I can apply this everywhere. Mm-hmm. It just popped out in the midst of study in scripture. And so as you read the Bible and you see it in its context, those things will come to the surface. Mm-hmm. And so and this is a different topic, but we have a temptation to kind of look for the verse that might apply. Like, where's that one little thing that yeah. I can use everywhere? Danger. <laughs> yeah, th- these things will surface. They yeah. will surface as you read scripture. Yeah, which is one of the things that I love so much about this audience of this podcast is the things that are the, the most amazing parts you're gonna pull out of this is the scripture. And then going back into the scripture for yourself, I always encourage you guys to go look at all the scriptures that are in the notes for yourself. Turn in your own Bible and see where those are at yeah. and praying through those on your own because that's where the gold is. And I get excited hearing from you guys on all the ways that you guys are just wanting to dig into scripture more. And it's so encouraging to me. This week, actually, when you guys are hearing this podcast, it is gonna be Thanksgiving week. So maybe this seems like an odd topic that I decided to jump into on, hey, let's talk about sin nature on on Thanksgiving (laughs) week. But I actually kind of think it's an amazing thing Mm -hmm. to talk about on Thanksgiving week because we have so much to be thankful for. But like you said, to someone, we are thankful to someone Mm -hmm. that we are forgiven and then we are clean. I love this. Anything else that you want to wrap this conversation up with? No, I I agree with that. You know, we have so much to be thankful for, but we have more importantly, someone to be thankful to. Yeah. Direct our thanks. It's a giving of thanks that we are doing, you know, this Thanksgiving holiday, but our lives are to be bent in a way of worship, which is thanks to the Lord. Yeah. So good. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.